Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hi, it's Elise Lunen, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity, investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. Our guest today is Dr. Rianne Eisler, social system scientist, cultural historian, futurist, attorney, and internationally best-selling author of many notable classics, including Sacred Pleasure and The Chalice and the Blade which I read recently and loved. While it came out in the 80s, it is incredibly prescient, prophetic really, and more relevant now than ever. In it, and in all of her books, Rianne explores the ways in which hierarchies of dominance, which are not our natural state, inform how we live now. What we've been told is simply a false story of our past, of our present, and most importantly today of the possibilities for our future. She explains, Rianne joins me to discuss her newest work, Nurturing Our Humanity, How Domination and Partnership Shape Our Brains, Lives, and Future. In the book, Eisler implores us to awaken to the notion that injustice, inequality, violence, and domination do not tell the full story of human possibility. We humans were really wired more for partnership than for domination, she says. Guided by the ethos of partnership, Rianne's work challenges each of us to play a role in the construction of a more equitable, more sustainable, and less violent world through investment in human infrastructure and a dedication to raising future generations by different scripts and constructs than those given to us. People's minds can be changed, she reminds us, but a change in consciousness starts with the knowledge that there are different better possibilities. So I remember, I think it was over my head, but I remember when The Chalice and the Blade first came out and what a sort of hit is. I grew up, you know, with parents who listened to a lot of NPR. And so I was familiar with you. And then I started digging in. I'm working on a book about the patriarchy and I just went into a, a deep hole with your work of just being sort of alternately amazed and excited by how prescient and ama- and just like how even even like the Chalice and the Blade, which is almost 30 years old. Is that accurate? It is over yeah. 30 years old. I over did 30 a new years epilogue, old. And I want to ask people to please, because people buy online they buy old copies but at least it's now in its 56th or 57th u.s printing 
And that epilogue came out, I think, with the 56th one, and it brings it up to date, up to the Trump years. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but it was just, it's amazing, because I feel like there was a moment, a time in the 90s, and you would obviously know much better when there was this sort of incredible amount of people like you really thinking and talking about some of these big questions around systemic oppression, particularly in the context of women and the way that we tell our stories about history. And then it feels like it went out of fashion. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. And now it feels like we're back. Or I want us to be back. (laughs) I I predicted in my book, which I wrote a long time ago, it was about the proposed Equal Rights Amendment, that if it was defeated, we would see a time of regression. Yeah. And social and political and family regression. And oh my gosh, did that not happen? I mean, so when you say prescient, yeah, I have predicted, I, I, I think the title futurist in a sense is something I should claim because so many of of my predictions have come true. And as you said, Chalice really is is just as relevant now. Yes. If not more so because the times have started to catch up a bit again as as it was when it was first published. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know that you wrote a a preface or a new foreword that brings it Brought, I think up to, was that 2016? I can't remember exactly what that age uh, of that version was. The was in, in, 20, in 2017. 2017. And it brings it up to the Trump years, right? Yeah. And what's so amazing is that in that, you talk about, you talk about sort of the Marxist analysis, like the alienation of caring labor And you talk about how if the caring labor, the life-sustaining labor of the nurturing, helping, and loving others, and how essential it is that we learn how to integrate that into the economic model. And we need that desperately in order for political and transformation and sustainable way of living. You write it much more beautifully. But you write about, and I'll quote you, and said, we can expect that the non-monetized quote unquote, informal economy of household production and maintenance, parenting, volunteer community service, and all the cooperative activities that permit the new, quote unquote, over-rewarded competitive activities to appear successful will be appropriately valued and rewarded. This will provide the now missing basis for an economic system in which caring for others is not just given lip service, but is the most highly rewarded and therefore most highly valued human activity. And obviously now we're talking in the midst of the second year of COVID where everyone seems to be finally <laughs> having a revelation about what actually makes the world go around. So I know that was relatively recent, but still well before. Well, this is so interesting because, of course, it's been hidden in plain sight yeah. that caring is important, but the conventional discourse, including the academic discourse, has really paid no attention. And what what you are referencing is what's really fully developed in my book, The Real Wealth of Nations, Creating a Caring Economy, which again came out in 2007. I mean, it isn't quite as old as Charles, but again was prescient. And now none less than President Biden is using the term caring economics and 
a term also that I introduced, human infrastructure. Mm. And it's really interesting that we haven't paid attention to human infrastructure, but that's all part of really the suppression of consciousness, yeah. of awareness that I've called the domination trance. And I think more and more of us today are waking up from this domination trance, as happened to me during, well, way, going way back. I, that's what led really to my research, my writing, my activism, my speaking, my keynoting. And it's, it's an exciting time because the times are catching up, aren't they? At least yes. for some people. For some people. But what I think is so amazing, and maybe we'll start with, with Chalice and the Blade, is, and I would love for you to explain the difference between, I mean, people can probably guess the dominator model versus the partnership model. But what's so amazing about that book is that for me, it hits deep chords of resonance that are antithetical to these sticky myths about who we are and who we've always been, which is this idea that percolates throughout culture, despite anthropologists being raising their hands and saying, no, hold on, like, that's actually inaccurate. But we have this idea of men as dominant, power-hungry warrior hunters and women as staying back and being nurturing and caring. And I'm not saying that those aren't in some, there's some extreme version of that that probably existed, but that that wasn't the reality of who we are. And so we're carrying out this cultural programming in ways that are deeply unhelpful and not actually accurate. Is that fair? Can you take us through sort of your world as and how you perceive it between those two models? Well, I, what, you're, what you're really pointing to, Elise, is what we've been told is simply a false story of our past, of our present, and most importantly today, of the possibilities for our future. And in a way, you've put your finger on it by what, what I always talk about, the caveman cartoon, right? Because it's such a familiar image in one hand, he's got a weapon, a club, right? In the other arm, the other hand, he's dragging a woman by the hair. So what does it really communicate to us? And to children, before their brains, much less their critical faculties are formed, is just what you said, that injustice, violence, male dominance, inequality, that's how it's always been. And by definition, that's how it always will be. And that is simply a lie. And we have evidence now from archaeology, from linguistics, even from DNA studies, from the study of myth, incredibly powerful evidence that this is simply not true, that in reality, as I developed for the first time, really, in my book, The Chalice and the Blade, it's lovely to be a prophet, uh, but unfortunately, we need to really spread this information. I can't be the only voice, and I am not the only voice, basically providing the data, the information. Yeah. So that's started with, as you said, the chalice and the blade. 
And my most recent book, well, I've been working on it for about seven years. It takes me a long time to do all the research for a book. And I invited the anthropologist Douglas Fry to be my co-author for one reason, because Doug is probably the world's, if not one of the world's, foremost authorities on how we humans lived for millions of years, both in, as pre-humans and as humans in foraging societies, mm -hmm. which he calls the original partnership societies. They were more egalitarian. They were more gender balanced. So this egalitarianism really did not, as in domination systems, uh, classify difference, you know, beginning with the difference in form between male and female in our species as superior or inferior, as equated with domination or being dominated with being served or serving. Mm -hmm. And they were far, far more peaceful. The evidence is clear today from archaeology that war, which we are told is just human nature, Actually, it's at most five to 10,000 years old. That is wild. And I think you write about a fair amount too, about like Ashley Montague, right? And his sort of how it should really be gatherer, hunter, and that we were, as you mentioned, foragers looking for, you know, maybe snails and frogs, but mostly nuts and berries, and that hunting was an occasional pursuit a very energy intensive occasional pursuit in which women probably participated as well. And yet it's so interesting how it's been warped over the years. And then you think about it, you know, it's like all you have to do is really think about it, right? And put yourself almost in those shoes to be like, oh, yeah, of course, like, duh. And, and we raised our children in a more community-based model. There weren't sort of nuclear families in the same way, I would imagine, right? Maybe, I don't know. It's just, it's it, the way that we've done it is in such a 50s model. It's funny. It's like the way that we've conceived our past is certainly out of the view of what feels convenient now or as an excuse for how it's always been. But we didn't have property, right? We weren't hoarding. We weren't passing down lines of of property and treasure at that point. And that's how we lived until when? Like, I know you talked about sort of like the Kurgans, right? Maybe coming through and creating and enslaving. I don't know if that's evolved or changed in the last, I guess, almost 40 years. But Actually, what do you think happened? Well, I, it's very interesting that you bring up the Kurgans because the DNA evidence, which is very recent... Yeah. actually supports, and it's caused a whole uproar in the archaeological community, which clung very much to the old paradigm, saying, oh my gosh, because the DNA evidence is that at about the same time uh, as uh, the Kurgans first started to encroach and invade the Mediterranean areas of Europe, you see a complete shift in DNA. In other words, their DNA replaces the DNA of the earlier inhabitants as the majority now. I mean, there's still a little bit left. So yes, at least in the areas around the Mediterranean, where we have the DNA and the archaeological evidence, the theory 
of these invaders, these incursions from the less arid, from the more arid areas of the globe. The the theory that the invasion of, of these invaders from the more arid areas of our globe brought in with it the domination or dominator model, including these hierarchies of domination, including male dominance and violence. Violence is being more and more supported, including even from DNA evidence. Mm. So it's very interesting, but the academy changes very, very slowly. And this is something that every one of us has to change. Every one of us can be really very, play a very important part in what we're, so many of us are working on today, and which is essential uh, not only for human thriving, but at this point with climate change, you know, the conquest and domination mm -hmm. of nature, which is part of the domination system, wipe out our species, we can all play a major role in telling the real story of human nature and with it of human possibilities. Yeah. And as you say, our survival, clearly the planet will continue to survive without us, but we will not survive if we continue in this way. And I think that just knowing and understanding that we're ascribing, we're adhering to this idea of who we're supposed to be that's false in of itself is incredibly liberating for women and for men, right? Like, actually, I don't need to be sort of a hawkish, dominant, stock trading, machismo man. I mean, I know those are try old and tired stereotypes, but they still obviously keep us entrapped in a way of if you're anything but that, if you're anything but inherently deeply in your feminine and only sort of caring and nurturing and feeding and serving, that you are living in a way that's diametrically opposed to how you're supposed to be in the world. So like the more we can sort of throw that off, and then similarly on the, the meta scale, when we think about the dominance of the toxic masculinity of conquering and taking and hoarding, and we can all move more towards our feminine principle, which is universal force, right? We all have it, men too, to nurturing and caring and taking care of what we've already pillaged and mined and excavated. We have to get there. We all have to get there. We all have to find our way back towards this middle. And it's not necessary. It's not a matriarchy. That's just an extreme on the other side. It's somewhere balanced in between. I guess a partnership model. Really? It is the partnership model, but you know, even our language, I mean, the fact that it, the only gender-specific social categories we've been taught are patriarchy and matriarchy says it all, because mm. what does it say? It's some, you know, either father's rule or mother's rule. There is no partnership alternative. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that these 
societies, these societies were not matriarchies. They were partnership societies. The configuration was that instead of hierarchies of domination, you know, these top-down hierarchies where you either obey or else there'll be a lot of pain, even death, that are rigidly male-dominated, that are violent, that actually this is not how we humans lived. And one of the most fascinating things to me in doing the research for nurturing our humanity are the findings from neuroscience, from so-called hard science, that if anything, in the course of evolution, we humans were really wired, if you will, to use that popular expression, more for partnership than for domination. For example, and there are many studies in nurturing our humanity. For example, studies show that the so-called pleasure centers of our brain light up more when we share and care than when we win or dominate. Mm-hmm. Now, if that is the case, we will have to ask, well, why has there been so much domination, so much injustice, so much violence? And really what we know also from neuroscience today is that we are not born with fully developed brains. Our brains develop in interaction with our environments, especially during the first five years of life, when the structure of the brain is put in place and that this is very, very different in cultural environments that orient more to the domination or the partnership side of the partnership domination social scale. So the first thing we have to do is to get rid of these old ways of thinking. You know, Einstein said it, you can't solve problems with the same thinking that created them. And the partnership and domination models, systems, really go beyond right, left, religious, secular, eastern, western, northern, southern. Think about it. There have been oppressive, violent regimes in every one of these conventional categories. So none of us, none of them really tell us what we need to construct for a more equitable, sustainable, less violent world. And But there's still another thing, and I really want to really say this because we've been so brainwashed by our quote education by a humanities that leaves out nothing less than the majority of humanity women and children that we don't even notice that our conventional categories like conventional studies of society either marginalize or simply ignore nothing less than the majority of humanity, women and children. Now, this is crazy. It's pathological. It's not logical. And we have to change it. And this is where the new configurations, the new social categories of the domination system and the partnership system, or more accurately, the domination partnership by a cultural scale come in. And I want to invite all of your listeners to really, uh, it's so empowering, as you have said yourself, 
that is a waking up from what seems like a, a trance. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we've been all taught to be in that trance. And in order to really have better lives in our families, family is not even considered important enough to be included, except as a sort of a sidebar in most studies of human society. I mean, think how crazy that is, especially in light of what we know from neuroscience of how it is actually our childhood years, which take place in families generally, or family substitutes, that this is how our brains and with it, how we feel, how we think, how we act, including how we vote, mm -hmm. are shaped. Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started. So it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever. Let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug, like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas. Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets. They also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly. They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day, treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code THREAD at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows so they know that we sent you. I think it's discussed in both Sacred Pleasure and Chalice and the Blade. You know, and you talk, I think, in the foreword about Dean Snow and looking at Paleolithic art and how we assumed, of course, that everything was painted by men, but many of these things were painted by women, that what we assumed, of course, were spears and weapons or actually plants, and the reverence for the feminine that's evident in early, in our early history, whether it's sort of the way that temples were constructed, et cetera, like you do an incredible job of bringing us back to that moment when we recognized the creative capacity of all people, but most most notably women, and that our survival was 
the women were sacred and that pleasure was sacred and that we were supposed to be, you know, these sensorial experiencing creatures and that our sort of forebears had a much deeper and better understanding of that and reverence really for the body and and our creative ability than we do now in the way that we denigrate it. And as you say, have essentially turned women and children into vessels and servants and and not in an erased, you know, our voices have been erased. It's it's wild how, how we just don't figure, right? When you look back at even the more modern canon, it's, we're not there. Well, this was part of my awakening. I suddenly woke up one day with, and realized that in all my years of so-called higher education, <laughs> in, in what I had been taught as important knowledge and truths, there had been hardly anything by, about, or for people like me, women. And that was like, whoa. And, and we all need to wake up to that. You know, if you look at modern Western science, as the historian of science, David Noble, writes in a wonderful book that I cite called A World Without Women, uh, Western science came six, 700 years ago, came out of a all-male, celibate, really, a world without women. And I would add a world without children. Yeah. And this has shaped it, and it has shaped what we're taught. And so this is such an exciting time when so many people are waking up from this domination trance. And, and, and COVID-19 really helped with that, I have to say. Uh, because it showed how lack of resilience, how um, lack of justice, lack of equality, lack of, of sustainability, our social and economic stories, what, what they have led to. So, but this is our work and this is your work, Elise, too, is to weave into as an agent for cultural transformation from domination to partnership. And I, I, I want to tell people about the fact that, well, two very exciting developments that I invite everyone uh, who is interested in this to participate in. One is we will in October through the Center for Partnership Systems be launching an on-demand course called Changing Our Story, Changing Our Lives. And you can find out more about it very shortly at centerforpartnership.org. And it will be self-paced because we used to teach it at special times. And this is not a model that works for people now. <laughs> so it's very reasonably priced. It's $99 and there are some scholarships and we are... Uh, really looking forward to it being a tool that people mm -hmm. can then use. There are four videos with it. Yeah. And then the other thing for people who want an advanced degree, who are really a little bit disillusioned with the siloed nature of the academy, uh, Meridian University, which is an accredited uh, university that does partly online and partly in-person our work, will be launching a concentration for a PhD or a master's degree for partnership practitioners, and that will start in December. 
of of this year of 2021. That's amazing. And I kind of maybe I will come and do my masters with you. You know, it's interesting thinking about putting this into practice, right? Because I think obviously just awareness and and that awakening, which can happen, I think, in an instant for people where they start to get sort of curious about, wait, like, what am I, (laughs) what am I subscribed to here? But then, you know, particularly at this moment in time, people are like, tear it all down, you know, burn it all down. And that, you know, we have to innovate and iterate within this system. And obviously, we need and I've heard you sort of speak to this, like, we need a market, we need it. This is these are all valuable social structures that help us organize ourselves and coordinate our efforts. It's really it's like a research, a, a re plumbing of energy, I think, or I don't know, I'm curious, like, I know that this is something that people can take a PhD in. But what would you what do you think are those initial steps? Like, how do we begin? Well, well, I love your replumbing because we've been <laughs> we've had a very dysfunctional operating system. And so your idea of replumbing is just great. That's exactly what we're talking about. We're not talking about destroying everything. I mean, like economics, you know, my book on economics, The Real Wealth of Nations, I introduce a new economic system called a caring economics of partnerism, which does not, as I take pains to explain, mean destroying markets. We don't happen to have free markets. It would be good Mm -hmm. to have them. And also government policies, but they have to be enlightened government policies. I mean, fortunately, right now in the United States, President Biden is moving towards policies that will put in place structures and resources for this replumbing. I mean, investment in our human infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And you have people who are really stuck in old thinking saying, oh, that's just not That's not important. Actually, for the post-industrial knowledge service era, it is the most important investment a nation can make is in its human infrastructure. It's so-called, economists like to call it human capital. They tell us that that's the most important capital, that we, the thing that we need the most are these flexible, creative, resilient people who can work in teams rather than just giving or taking orders. Well, we know from neuroscience that whether or not we have this human infrastructure depends entirely almost, but it's certainly to a huge degree on the kind of care and education children receive early on. Because built into the domination-oriented mind is denial. You know, you may wonder why are 70 people voted for Mr. Trump? And they seem to be in denial about not only climate change, but election results, COVID-19. But denial is a mechanism that is built into the development, the structure of the domination brain. 
we're not stupid. We have just been told the false stories and people live by stories. Yeah. And die by stories. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Speaking of the neuroscience and and this idea of like raising future generations with a different template, a different script and different constructs for how they can and should be in the world, which will be hard to do, as you know, like every and I'm not a perfect parent by any means. So I say this without judgment and it's also impossible to avoid. But like we we are obsessed with with violence and like I'm sure my kids, my little boys have watched like thousands of people die on screens at this point, but we still don't show people being born, right? Like that's too gross. So that's a bigger conversation, but it 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 is a big, we have a big cultural problem in terms of what we glorify and adore and spend our energy watching. But we also know that people's minds can be changed, that our, you know, that neuroplasticity, potentially one of our most interesting or compelling strengths so for the people who are scared, because I think so much of this, the change and the, and the change that's happening, you know, there's no choice in what's happening in our world today. Like it is happening. We can deny it or we can accept the reality of, of what's, what's happening all around us. But how for people who are really scared, you know, you talk about, and in so many ways, the conversation about white supremacy is very helpful because I think now people are actually like that made it something very real, how a system can be oppressive without requiring your individual participation in racist acts, right? That this is bigger than any one of our actions. And so similarly, I think people are becoming aware and wise to the idea of these in, of these forces that work on us of which we're not conscious and not necessarily in control. But how do we start to calm people down or reassure them that this transition with it, that we could all be more, feel more safe and secure, that the thing to fear is actually continuing with the status quo. So how do we, do you have any thoughts? (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, I think you are quite correct that it all starts with the individual, with a change in consciousness. Mm-hmm. with an awakening. We've lived with a contracted and completely distorted consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. But it, And from change consciousness comes the knowledge that there are different possibilities. And so we humans are very creative. We create alternatives. 
you know, whether it's a better chair or a better <laughs> fountain pen or a better policy or a better way of relating in our individual relations. There are a lot of technologies available today to all of us for partnership relations. This is all really not happening in isolation, that how we relate to our national, nationally, internationally, our spiritual relations, how we relate to nature, that it's all of one clause. So the second step then is systems thinking. Systems mm -hmm. thinking, connecting the dots. I mean, so many women and men have said to me that what has happened is that they felt empowered, empowered by understanding that things that seemed random and disconnected really make sense once you start using the partnership domination social scale. And that social scale is based on systems thinking. Now, actions. Uh, every one of us can start by changing the conversation. Mm -hmm. Tell what you know uh, of what is happening, of the evidence that we have today for a different story of what being human means and can mean. Talk not only to your family members and your colleagues at work, write letters to the editor, write op-eds, and yes, get in touch with not only your policymakers, but with your religious leaders. We know that about 80 some percent of the world's population identify with some religious faith. It is up to religious leaders because think about it for a moment. Uh, the domination mind is taught through fear of pain. Mm -hmm to really obey and follow the authoritarian strong man or woman as a delegate, parent, leader, religious leader in particular. It is up to religious leaders to raise their voices. I wrote an article in Cosmos magazine on what we need to do and what religious leaders need to do, which is to sort out the partnership teachings, which are at the, are the core of our religious teachings. I mean, think of it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, caring, nonviolence, I mean, quote, so-called feminine teachings, and then the domination overlay that was added in the course of domination history only for the last five or so thousand years. I mean, think about it we can separate the two. I mean, these are just, and educate yourself. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself and get those in your circle to, because, you know, in order for minds to change, they have to have the exposure to new ideas and to new evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up religion because it's such a, a significant sort of part, or sp sort of spirituality or understanding of of our sort of relationship within the cosmos. I don't call myself religious. I'm I'm really, I guess, probably spiritual. I'm very interested in the creation of religion and what came to be in the Bible and what 
was excluded and how these stories, again, came together to inform who we are. And then sort of the overlays, the cultural overlays. There are so many times when someone will sort of quote, you know, wholesale like the Bible. And it's like, where, where, <laughs> where, where in the Bible? And they, there's no passage. But just in the way that it's been interpreted, you know, as you said, Jesus was full of the feminine principle. That seemed to be his primary teaching. He wasn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But look, it is more than interpretation, although some of it is certainly interpretation. For example, in Genesis, there are two creation stories, and they're very different. One is Elohim, and it's plural. Uh, and it comes from the older religion, really, created humans in its image. Mm -hmm. All right? That is yep. a partnership story. The other story, however, is the one that has been trumpeted from the rooftops and in, in certainly has been at the core of much of what we're taught in both Judaism and Christianity and Muslim religion. And that, of course, is the story that blames woman Mm -hmm. for nothing else than humanity's fall from paradise. <laughs> I mean, think about it. What better story is there for subordinating woman? And it's not the only story. Pandora in Greek mythology releases all of humanity's ills. In, in The Chalice and the Blade, as you know, I have two chapters called Reality Stood on Its Head, mm -hmm. which is, deals with what I call remissing. And sacred pleasure, which I really am so glad that you mentioned, because I, I that I wasn't planning to write that book, uh, focusing on on the application of these two different ways of, of 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 living, of being, of thinking, of feeling, of acting, the domination dominator model and the partnership model, to focus on both sexuality and spirituality. And yeah. it was quite a re revelation to realize something so very simple that you alluded to in passing, that domination systems are really based on fear of pain, whereas partnership systems, whether it is in us or in our very closest primate relative, the bonobos, on the sharing of pleasure, whether it's food, whether it's sex, you know, on just that bodily level. And as I said, we are more primed for sharing and caring mm -hmm. as, as an evolutionary adaptation. Yeah. We better, we better realize that because if we really, and we're not talking about kumbaya, we're not talking about something impossible, and we're not talking about returning to any so-called good old days. We want to use modern technology, but we want to use it guided by an ethos of partnership, of caring, of sharing, and of sustainability and of creativity, not just yeah. innovation. I make a distinction, but I've introduced a lot of new vocabulary in my work, as you know, because we need new words. Yeah. I mean, linguistic no. psychologists tell us that, that the language, the categories provided by our language channel our thinking. So it's impossible almost to think of something else except those alternatives like matriarchy and patriarchy. I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy. 
not only because I live in a 1,500-square-foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. In short, I want to use everything I buy. In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product content. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique beetle oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed-release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. The results, it increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female-founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com thread for 25% off. You are such a prophet and you've actually, you fill me with optimism and hope because I do think that we can reorient ourselves and figure this out. I have a lot of faith in humanity. I also, as you mentioned, I have faith in our innate creativity and adaptability. And it's hard, you know, it's a hard, it's a stressful time to be alive. <laughs> I know we all chose this. I, I believe that we all chose this in my sort of view of, of existence. But I do think it's sort of this, it can happen in sort of a snap of a finger, a breaking of a spell, or in some ways, like, I, I think at the beginning, I was talking about how much resonance your books filled me with, not, not because I knew the evidence that you were presenting, but because it felt to me so eternally true. And, and I'm vibrating, you know, just talking to you, there's like a, vib- a vibration, which sounds so woo-woo, but like, there is a, a an extreme amount of depth of truth in this that I think we can all recognize. It's like, oh my God, that makes so much more sense. It makes so much more sense. <laughs> well, and and it does make so much more sense. And as I said, so many men and women, I, and and kids too. I 
once got a, a letter that I'll never forget. It was from a fresh person, fresh woman in high school. And she said, I go to this progressive school, private school, and we're always protesting and I against this, against that, against this other thing. And then I suddenly realized we're all protesting against the same thing, the domination system. That is empowering. Now, mm -hmm. it's not... A, you talked about times of stress, of disequilibrium, and what we know from chaos theory, from nonlinear dynamics, you know, from all of these new disciplines, from systems thinking, from systems self-organization theory, is that it is precisely in times of disequilibrium that we can have fundamental, fundamental change. But it is also in these times that people who are brought up in domination, early environments in domination families, uh, really go mm, drastically into denial mm -hmm. and follow the leader mode. Yeah. Because why? Because it's familiar. It's mm -hmm. so that's why I mentioned religion. And I, like you, think of religion in spiritual terms. But it's also very practical because it provides guiding principles. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's up to every one of us to get, and, 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 and I think, again, the Cosmos article uh, that I mentioned is K-O-S-M-O-S. -O -S -S. And you can find all kinds of information on that and on a zillion other things. We will link to everything in the show notes as well, so it's easy for people and obviously, you have an incredible canon of books, and I need to read through the rest of them. What is there anything else sort of besides besides what you've already mentioned? Are there books out there? They could be old, they could be ancient, they could be new or movies or documentaries. Is there anything that you just if you're like, if you could just besides your work, like I wish everyone would just look at this one thing or two things or three things? My goodness, I hadn't thought of that. Well, I'll tell you what I've <laughs> lately. Um, there's a film called My Octopus Teacher, which oh, yes. I just loved. And it really talks about our relationship with nature in a very moving, personal way. Of course, in terms of old wisdom, it's very difficult because of this domination overlay. I mean, in Sacred Pleasure, if you remember, I write that I think mysticism was an attempt to preserve some of the older ways of thinking, the more partnership-oriented ones. So I would really suggest like rereading some of the scriptures. And my husband and I wrote a book called The Partnership Way, which is a wonderful self, sort of a, 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 a practical way of reading both chalice and sacred pleasure. So I highly recommend that. I also um, recommend his children's stories, which are Ooh. just wonderful. Oh, I've, I've got to listen. I'm in partnership aside from anything else. It's simply much better <laughs> in terms of of, of just love and companionship and mutual support. But he wrote a wonderful set of children's stories called Grandfather's Garden, mm -hmm. 
So these are just the things that quickly come into my mind. But I think that it's up to us to look for the partnership elements and the domination elements in everything we read. And this is why I'm recommending the partnership way as well. Well, I I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you for your work throughout your life. It is amazing what you have accomplished and put into the world. And we are all so much better off for it. And I hope this time, like with what's happening with your book in Spain, that that we start to reprise some of this thinking and the scholarship that people like you have done over these decades, because it is it's incredible. So I can't thank you enough. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that was a bit of a fangirl moment for me. I was, I think, explaining to Rianne before we started, or maybe it's on the tape, but when I prep for interviews, I my process is I read, I mark passages, then I go back through, I type up all of the passages that hit me in the heart. And those are my notes for interviews. And between her the two books of hers that I've read, and obviously she's read, she's written so many books, and I need to read my way through the rest of them. I have 25 pages of notes, which is, I'd say, unprecedented. So we got through a tiny portion. If you're going to start with one book, I cannot recommend The Chalice and the Blade enough. As she mentioned, it came out in 1987. She wrote a new, it's been updated twice, but it's just amazingly prophetic and prescient about this moment in time that we find ourselves in and how we might do things differently and better and or to go back. Um, One of the things that we didn't get to talk about was, you know, she does a pretty thorough examination of ancient civilizations that came and went, but that had, you know, actually had far more technical prowess like than, than other civilizations like I think it's Crete ancient Crete maybe that's mistaken for Atlantis and myth making but I think they had plumbing etc many hundreds of years before it emerged elsewhere but it's important because I think that we also are fed this mythology that all progress is positive and that we're always moving forward and that we always do things better than we did in the past and that's I think can be dangerous yes we've made incredible progress But without the evolution ourselves to keep up, it's not always positive. And we need to learn how to be more responsible for what we create in the world. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at theelisepodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter, I promise I won't spam you, or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunen to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, i.e. wherever you're listening right now. I also want to thank you in advance for sharing any episodes with friends you think might like the show, because that is how podcasts grow. 
I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Serena Reagan, Mary-Kate McDonough, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week.